0: Alright guys, well, um, you know, we've been looking through the, the book of Daniel, and if you've been tracking with us every week, we see that Daniel isn't the hero, right? Daniel's not the hero. God's the hero. And, you know, the problem is that what we tend to do is we read, especially when we read narratives in the Bible. It's always so easy to kind of put ourselves as the hero, and we think of ourselves as the protagonist, Right? Actually, let me just encourage you, whenever you're reading the Bible, one of the number one things that we should always do, and the lenses that we should be wearing, is to see God as the centerpiece of the Scripture. You know, imagine that, right? And so every time you open up Scripture, whether it's New Testament, or Old Testament, or whether it's the the poems, or it's prophecy, whatever it is, we're always meant to look at this as with lenses of saying, God how can I understand you? How can I see you for who you truly are? And then once we get this picture of who God is, the beautiful thing about what scripture does, it's like a mirror. You've heard us say that over and over, right? And scripture even talks about itself being this way. It's like a mirror and it reveals the truth of who we are. Not Not in some subjective, kind of ethereal, like however you want to like interpret your heart and interpret your mind and interpret your being. No, it's, it's this objective understanding that we see ourselves in the light of the truth of who God is, right? And so as we unpackage the book of Daniel, we're doing that every week. And so the reason why we've chosen to say Daniel 11.32 every week is because it reminds us that to do exactly that. It reminds us to go, who is God? And if God is this aspect of truth, then what does that mean for you and me as people who call themselves disciples of Jesus, as people who desire to follow Jesus, right? And so that's what we're going to do again this morning, Daniel chapter 6. We're going to Daniel eleven thirty-two. the mess out of Daniel chapter 6, all right? You guys ready? Let's do it. Okay, so... And I understand also the, the truth that, you know, we've been saying, man, it feels like such a timely uh, book to go through as as Christians. It feels so timely because we're feeling the, the way of the culture. We're feeling how, um, you know, I think rightly, if there's ever been a period of time as an American culture that we're starting to see, if it hasn't already, the line hasn't already been totally crossed, where we're no longer just kind of thought as, as kind of like, you know, benign uh, as Christians. We're no longer thought of as kind of just there and that's good for you. I think that was the feeling maybe 10, 15 years ago, the culture kind of was like, oh, that's good for you. If you were to tell somebody at your workplace you were a Christian, they would go, oh, and kind of that awkward kind of smile, like, oh, you know, whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat. But now when you tell somebody you're a Christian, it is like, why? Why? Why would you be a Christian? You believe that stuff? You believe, like, really, like, there's one God and there's one truth? I was reading a stat in Barna the other day that over 50% of people who call themselves Christians, even in the church, don't even believe that there's absolute truth anymore. And so this way of the world has even crept into us, right? And so what we do is we, took a, we take a book like Daniel, and we see that he's in exile, we see that he has certain values, godly values, have godly culture that he grows up in, and understanding the scriptures like you and I do, and yet he's placed into a culture that is the antithesis of that. You even saw in Daniel chapter 1 where the king takes the vessels of the house of the Lord and he puts them in his chambers, and then last week we saw how uh, one of the kings was drinking out of them, mocking God, and saying, oh man, who's your God kind of a thing? Look... God's amazing, you know. My God's stronger than your God. And we and obviously that wasn't true, right? But we feel this pressure today and I think, friends, the temptation is to go, yeah, we live in Babylon and so all hope is lost, right? It's all over. The the end of the the beginning of the end has started for us and we start to like lose hope, we lose faith and we we kind of look at like social media posts or we, we listen to the news and say, this is it, we're in Babylon. It's done, it's over. And I actually want to tell you guys, there's something to be learned, even though God is the hero of this scripture, there is something for us to glean from the life of Daniel. Because, to be honest, Daniel had it way worse than we do. Anyone here ever get threatened to be thrown in fire because you're a Christian, just raise your hand. Anybody? No? Okay. Well, that's really cool, isn't it? Thank God for that, right? That doesn't mean it's not coming. I don't know. I mean, but no one here would say anybody here ever like well, we're well. I don't want to jump ahead, but you get what I'm trying to say. And so, if we try to try to say, "Yeah, this is Babylon," and I think it is, but if we somehow say that's an excuse for us to retreat that's an excuse for us to like lie in the fetal position in our bed all day and just say lord will you just come back and i don't really believe in the rapture but will you let it happen you know kind of a thing no see we're meant to daniel 11:32 our lives we're meant to be people who know who our god is and trust me friends when you get a glimpse of who god is and the truth of his character imprints on your life all of a sudden you say, Yeah, I am living in Babylon. This is reality, but my God is bigger than Babylon. My God is stronger than Babylon. And I don't have to lay in bed and go, uh. And then you know what? The opposite is true too. I don't have to go, uh. That's me, I don't have a, you know, really strong muscular <laughs> chest, but that's about as muscular. I don't have to like try to prove myself and get all angry and frustrated, and I don't try to have to like, you know combat everything man we just stand firm knowing who our God is so let's get into it this morning Daniel chapter 6 we're going to read the first five verses and then we'll talk about it a little bit this is what the word of the Lord says it pleased Darius now if you don't remember sorry just a little push pause here we got a new king again okay so we had Nebuchadnezzar then we had Belshazzar, and now we got Darius. And Darius inherits the kingdom from Belshazzar because what happens, uh, Darius' people, the the, um, Medo-Persians, they come in and they, they take over and they kill Belshazzar, the guy who was like, hey, what's up? I'm the man, everything's awesome. And then the writing on the wall comes and says your life will be taken from you. And it happens that very night. And then all of a sudden, Darius comes through, all right? So this is what's happening. It pleased Darius the king to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom daniel was one to whom these satraps should give an account they're kind of like governors over the over the area okay they're the, they're leaders over regions uh, verse uh, to give an account so that the king might suffer no loss this is a wise plan this is a good plan if you're a leader you're going to be like man we need leaders you I just can't be the dude barking and making sure everything's happening. i got to make sure people are doing what is supposed to be happening. Verse 3. Then this Daniel became, everyone say, distinguished. distinguished. Yes. Above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Wow. Verse 4. Then the presidents and the satraps sopped, Sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. What a compliment! What a compliment! So, if we're asking, friends, the question of who is God, and then once we discover the tr- truth of who is God, then we ask ourselves, well, if God is this, then my life needs to reflect something of who God is, isn't it? doesn't it? And like Francis Schaeffer, I don't know if you guys know who Francis Schaeffer is, but he was a great theologian back in the 70s, around when I was born, he was kind of popular, this kind of beatnik Kind of a dude. He had a little goatee and, you know, like he wore really interesting clothes and he was kind of out there. But he said some profound things to the culture. And he was known as somebody who said, man, if God is this way, then we should live this way, right? He has this book, then, then how should we live? And the question is, if God's like this, then how should we live? And what we're going to see here is that same question being answered to us. If you and I right now are living in a Babylonian, Babylonian kind of, so to speak, culture, and God is who He is, then how should we live? And I think Daniel chapter 6 Verses one through five give us such a good picture of how we, knew how you and I are supposed to live. So number one is we're supposed to live distinguished lives. Distinguished lives. That word distinguished means set apart, right? If Michael Bryan, he's very distinguished looking, isn't he? Yeah. I mean Lori's like mm hmm. I mean with that gray I'm trying my best to catch up to Mike but it's probably not going to happen for a while. But with that gray silver hair, I mean we should start calling you the Silver Fox, buddy. All right? And he's very distinguished. He walks I mean he just there's a gravitas about Mike, isn't there? And when Mike speaks, you know that there's like weight behind what he has said. He's he's gone through years of ministry, over 30 years leading churches and people. And one of the beautiful things about Mike and Lori, particularly, you know, I expected them, my, my first, when I first saw them on our grand opening day, seeing them here, thinking, what in the world are they doing here? They lead a church in Bray, and, and I didn't know that they had, you know, kind of retired and they lived in Chino, and it was such a pleasure to see them, and then them sticking around, and my first thought was, oh, they're probably judging everything we're doing around here. They're probably like, well, if I was leading this church, you know, if someone were to ask me, this is what I would do. You know what the beautiful thing about Mike and Lori is? They are the opposite of that. They're the opposite. They have so much wisdom. They have so much, like, years of history of of mystery of both good and bad. And you know how they encourage me particularly personally? They're like, man, you can do it. You're doing such a great job. And then Mike will every once in a while say, I'm glad I'm not leading right now, right? <laughs> and he's distinguished. And you see that there's, there's something, you just want to be around this couple, don't you? When you're around Mike and Lori, don't you just feel better about yourself? Not like they're like puffing you up, but they, you just feel like the encouragement of God around them. And you see the same thing with Daniel now, See, friends, this doesn't give us the, the ability to say, man, the culture's antagonistic against my culture and my values. And the culture will never listen to anything I have to say or my family will have to say or my, you know, my position. You know, uh, it, will, it will never open its ears to me, so I might as well just be grumpy and mad about it or fearful. How do you see Daniel act? It says that he was distinct. Look at, look at some of the words it says here distinguished what? Above all others. An excellent spirit was in him. No ground for complaint or any fault. Faithful, no error was found in him. Man, this dude is an upright dude. And obviously the question is, friends, right? You know where we're going with this. Would someone would someone in your family say that about you? Ugh, right? The people who know you best, where they go, man, you know, my brother, he's very distinguished. You know, my, the kids, my, my kids in their house, they probably would never say stuff like that about each other. They're probably like, you're always leaving the, the, to- the toilet seat up. Quit being so undistinguished. Does the world know you as faithful? Does the world know you... Without error, and and don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, hey, as you're a follower of Jesus, we we have to be perfect, and because that's religion. What I'm saying is, our character should res- should resemble something of the character of who God is. I remember I used to work at Olive Garden a long, 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 long time ago. I was a busser. It was one of my first jobs. I was I think I was 14 or 15. I don't know why they hired me. But they're like, all right, kid, you know. And I remember I would go around telling people I was a Christian. And there was this one server girl who was there one day, and I was like getting ready for my job, and I was kind of grumpy. I was kind of like, "Mm, I didn't want to like be there that day because, you know, in my 15-year-old mind, I thought this was the worst job in the world. I don't know why I was, you know, had such a bad attitude, and I was like cleaning tables. And she comes up to me and she says, "Hey, you're a Christian, right?" I'm like, "Yeah," and she's like, I, I, "I mean, this was God's grace." She just says, "How come you're grumpy?" And I was like, I don't know. Hey. Generally. Generally. Apparently my general disposition is grumpiness. I got a lot of work to do. You guys, I love, I love this saying, and I think it needs to be true of us. We should be in a place where the only accusation people can bring against us is that we're faithful to God. What a beautiful compliment Daniel has paid. They were trying to, you know, trying to get him in trouble. But what a beautiful... If people were to examine your life, if the IRS were to, like, look at your finances, what would they find? If people were to see your history on the internet browser... What would they see if your Netflix, you know, you know that like all these Netflix kind of subscriptions, they'll cater what you see in your feed to what you've already been watching. And I'll notice this because you know, like we have four or five different accounts in my house because we have six people in our home with the, all in the same accounts. Well, with on the same account. And so, you know, I got, we got our account, Savannah's got her account, Asia's got her account, Sam's got their, you know, and then I'll look on one and it'll be like nothing but like anime, right? And I'm like, (laughs) what in the heck? And I know, and I go, oh, I'm in Sam's account. So what would people see Would people be able to go, man, there, I find no fault in this person. And you know what? The only way I can get them is because I know they're faithful and I know that their morality reflects the truth of who they believe their God is. That's how I'm going to get them. Lord, let that please be true of us at South China. Chino. Yeah. And if, guys, if Daniel served in a culture that was, dare I say, a hundred times worse than where America is right now. I mean, we can objectively say America has lost its moral compass. We could say that. That's okay to say. And no no brain-thinking Christian would say, oh no, it's getting better. No, it's not. It's objectively getting worse. But, but, if Daniel could serve in a culture that was worse than what we're experiencing right now and be known as somebody who was faithful no error no fault and the only thing that we can get him on is being faithful let that please be true of you and me all right not only do we see that daniel shows us that we need to be people that are distinguished but he also shows us that we need to be bravely obedient bravely obedient let's keep reading verses 6 through 15 where am i here here we are okay then these presidents and satraps came by agreement. Lo and behold, you ever see politicians agree on anything? What is going on here? To the king and said to him, Oh, King Darius, live forever. Well, if you want something, that's the way to do it, right? Just what way kids, you guys come up and say, Dad, you're the most amazing dad. And then ask afterwards, all right? Oh, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects, and the satraps, the counselors, and the governors, um, we are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish that injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Well, what happened? Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Wow, that sounds like a pretty good thing, guys. Really, you know, thanks for looking out, right? When Daniel knew that this document had been signed, what did he do? What did Daniel do? Well, let's just read it. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber up toward Jerusalem He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Verse 11, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except you, O king... Shall be cast in the den of lions?" The king answered, "said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked." Then they answered, Ooh, Yes." Then they answered and said before the king, "Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the uh, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day." Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to, to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by the agreement to the king and said to the king, "King, Now, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So they get it. They, they create this trap. They get Daniel. And they tell him, Listen, King, remember that thing you agreed to? If you want to be a good king, you gotta to stick to it. Right? If you're gonna be faithful, you gotta to stick to what you said. And you said, anybody. So they catch Daniel. Hmm. Little manipulation going on here, right? Well, what does Daniel do? You see, Daniel is bravely obedient. The first thing, the first thing he does, it says, when he heard of this signing, what does he do? Oh, shoot! Let's get on social media. Let's tell everybody that America's going to hell in a handbasket. Let's let's let everybody know that we are doomed. It's over. And unless you stand up and you fight, it's going to be taken away from you. We feel that, don't we? Yes, we do. What does Daniel do? Hey, if you do this, you're gonna be you're gonna be killed. Daniel just says, Oh, interesting. Let me go out to my house. Let me open up my windows, and let me get down on my knees, and I'm gonna pray three times, just like I do every single day. Just like I do. Every single but but Daniel Daniel listen you're like a representation of God in your culture. Man, I think it's only thirty days, Daniel. It's only thirty days. You should just chill out just for just compromise a little. I mean, you've been praying all these long years, you're probably about eighty years old now. Daniel, God's seen, he's seen your life, and you've been consistent, and I think thirty days, just thirty days and it'll be fine. And then after the 30 days, just go back to normal. Daniel just goes, opens his windows, gets down on his knees, faces Jerusalem, the holy city, and he prays three times a day. See, I think it took a lot of bravery to do that. The Scripture doesn't tell us that he was freaked out. The Scripture doesn't tell us that he wasn't freaked out. It doesn't do that. But what I think we need to assume is that if somebody says, hey, if you're going to love God, and you're going to be obedient to the things God's called you to do, we're going to kill you. And all of us here this morning would say, holy cow, that's bad news. But we know that there's something that God has called us to do in being bravely obedient. And to do what we continue to do, I think it would take some courage, wouldn't it? Now, the temptation for us here this morning is, okay, we got to be brave. Okay, we got to have courage. And so what we need to do is we need to muster up our courage. We need to look somewhere deep down inside us and find the hero. Because there's this little hero inside my heart that is saying, just let me grow, right? And so if I feed that hero, oh, it's going to make me brave. No, that's not what Daniel does. He doesn't look deep inside himself and find his strength. You notice that what he's doing is what he's always been doing. He prays. And I think, friends, what a good biblical example for you and me as we face... A world that is becoming antagonistic to us as we face people in our society and cultures that will say evil is good and good is evil. Where do we find our bravery from? We find it from God and God alone. How do we find that from God? One of the best places to find bravery in God is through prayer. Through prayer. Through prayer, those who know their God will stand firm and take action. One of the best ways that you can know God is to pray. Is to pray. Is to say, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, will you come and do what only you can do in and through me? And as we start to do that, our our, our understanding of who God is from the wrong things begin to be adjusted to the right things. And especially Through Scripture. Look at Psalm, what are we going to look at here? Psalm 57. Where am I in my Bible? Somewhere here. If you go backwards. Oh dear, do we even have time to read this? I think it's important. I think let's do it. Okay, thanks, Zach. Psalm 57. And I just want to read this Scripture to you, and you can follow along. But Daniel chapter 6 doesn't say that this is what Daniel got down on his knees and prayed. But I think this is a helpful kind of... Man, are we facing hardship? Yeah, as a people, yes we are. Uh, is it going to get worse? I think it probably will. God, I hope it doesn't, but I think it probably will. What are some kind of prayers that we need to pray? Well, this Psalm 57 is a really good one. And maybe Daniel might have recited this. I don't know. It doesn't say he didn't, so there you go, okay? Daniel chapter 50, or Psalm 57 says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by, till 30 days pass by. I'm going to put my hope in you. Verse 2 I cry out to God, Most High. Who is God? He's the Most High. To God who fulfills His purpose for me. Who is God? He's the God who fulfills His purposes. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. This is who our God is. Look at this one. If this isn't on the nose, I don't know what is. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. But verse 5, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They shed a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. We're going to see that in a little bit, aren't we? My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. Awake, the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above all the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Imagine, Daniel is now faced. You're going to be thrown into a den of lions unless you stop praying. Daniel opens the windows, faces Jerusalem, he prays three times a day, and maybe he prayed Psalm 57. It wouldn't have been inappropriate. And for you and me, friends, every day when we pray, it's helpful to pray through scripture. Take a psalm. Take a psalm. Go Psalm 1 and say, Lord, I want to be like a tree that's planted by the river, whose leaves don't wither. I want to I want to know your word. I want to stand firm. And God, this isn't true of me, but this is true of those who put their hope in you and know your word. Lord, pour your word into my life. How are you guys doing? We're meant to be bravely obedient. Now, here's the thing about this obedience some of us might have delusions of grandeur when i'm talking about being brave you're like yeah let's do it some of you guys are, have that personality we're like charge the mountain yes and you're like just give us a mountain we're going to charge it we're going to like kill all the people wait 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 no 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 that's, that's not what we're saying yeah we're going to like call down thunder on our enemies yes, yes, yes. No, no 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 that's not what we're talking about here right and and you want some like grandiose mountain to climb, to prove your obedience and to prove your bravery. I want to tell you, friends, church, Southlands, one of the best ways to be bravely obedient is to be bravely obedient in the mundane of everyday life. What does that mean? Be obedient in how you treat your spouse and your wife and your husband. Be bravely obedient to love when you don't feel like it when you don't want to serve the other person be bravely obedient when you don't want to love on your kids and when you're when you the kids don't want to love on their parents when you don't want to give financially when you don't want to be generous with the things that you have be bravely obedient when you don't want to serve at trunk or treat oh my gosh <laughs> be bravely obedient We think we're going to have like this moment where God's being like, I've been, been praying you, I've been preparing you so that you can shine. No. See, God wants us to shine all the time. Hey, that rhymes. Shine all the time. When I go to bed, when I get out of bed, when I brush my teeth, when I eat my food, when I interact with my kids my family, and my friends, and the workplace. I am meant to be a representation of God all the time. Not in these specific little set-apart moments where everyone's going to go, look at Kelly! And it's muscle memory. We think, oh, maybe I'm going to like, maybe one day when I'm 80 years old like Daniel, then I'll be like... Then I'll be able to like, I won't care because I'm 80. You know, you think Daniel had less to lose? I mean, he's been like given almost to be the greatest in all of the nation. you think he had less to lose? He has a reputation of 80 years. Do you think he had less to lose? He has his very life is on the line. And you and I might be thinking, well, one day when I'm really mature, then I'll start really being obedient to God. That's not how it works. Remember we've said, do you trust God with the consequences of being fully obedient to Him? Do you trust God with the consequences? That word consequences means something, doesn't it? When God asks us to do something, when God asks us to submit, when God asks us to faithfully gather on a Sunday. God, I don't feel like it today. Do you trust God with the consequences being fully obedient to God, even if it means dot, dot, dot. Well, surely God would not require me to lay down my life or my comfort. No. If you guys have an understanding that somehow being obedient to God is going to result in self-fulfillment or comfort, or whatever you think, it's going to like benefit you personally and make you re- unlock your potential as a Christian, you're going to have a hard time not only with Daniel chapter 6, but with all of Scripture. Because all of Scripture, when it points us to follow Jesus, it's come live a life of denial. Come live a, a life of living the benefit for someone else other than yourself. Come live a life that is subject to, to a king who knows better than you do love you guys so if we see that daniel you see in these two instances one he's living a life that's distinguished just a life of character godly character after godly character after moment of moment no one can do anything to, to bring a charge against him and then you also see he's bravely obedient His bravery doesn't come from within himself, it comes from this deep-rooted understanding of who God is, and he's obedient to a fault. He's obedient to the fact that it's going to cost him his life. What kind of God could cause such a reaction in such a person? What kind of God, what kind of value, what kind of purpose could be instilled in Daniel, this 80-year-old exile, living in a land that is antagonistic against him, that wants to make fun of him, that wants to pull him down? What kind of God could be the kind of God that would cause Daniel to act this way? That's a really good question. I'm so glad that you guys were thinking about that question. All I had to do is just verbalize it for you this morning. Because what we're going to do now is we're going to answer that question. And so let's continue through the book of Daniel. This is what it says about this kind of God. We see that this kind of God is the kind of God who's able to deliver. He's able to deliver. This is what it says, verse 16 through 23. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Everybody say deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No, no, uh, no deliverance. Sorry. Sorry. My paper is messed up here. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then... At break of day, I don't know if you guys are catching on to some of the similarities here. We're going to see these in a moment. The king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out uh, of the den. Where am I stopping? So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because... He had trusted in his God. This is again one of kind of one of those stories where you like wish you almost didn't know the ending. You want to kind of hear it for the first time. What's gonna happen? And then you're able to see this beautiful redemption. And I love how Darius says, Was God able to deliver you? Oh king, yes, he lives, he's alive. He's been delivered. Oh, by the way, King. Yeah, you know the you know the trap that was set for me. Not only did um, the Daniel the the lions not hurt me, but I was kind of cold. And then at night, I kind of cuddled up to him, you know, and I could hear the purring. You know, they were so warm and fuzzy. You know, a little smelly because I haven't had a bath for a while. But it, you know, it was awesome. What kind of God would cause somebody to be brave? And obedient. What kind of God would cause somebody to live a life that's distinguished among all others? The God who is able to save. The God who is able. That's the same God that you and I serve right here now. Is the same God some 2,000 over 2,000 years ago that kept Daniel alive in the dead. He's the same one. Why do you and I live somehow like he's changed? You know how you know you think God's changed? You freak out. You ever freak out? Anything in life ever freak you out? Anything? Only one person here this morning is honest. <laughs> Stuff freaks us out because we forget who God is. You got 30 days. Don't pray or you're dead. Better not pray. Why wouldn't you pray? Because I'm going to die. Daniel's like, you're not going to die? Let me tell you a story. I have three friends. They're probably not living anymore. But these guys were good buddies of mine. And we were living in Jerusalem area. And we were buddies. And we were doing all the good stuff. We had life good. Values were good. And, you know, all of these things. We were kind of like living the good life as good Christian boys and girls. And then one day this king came and he took over our city. And he took me and my three other friends. And you know what he did? He built this giant, big old, tall, golden structure. And he said, if you don't worship it, what's going to happen is I'm going to cast you into this fiery furnace. And you know what happened? He cast my three friends in the fire furnace. But guess what? There was a fourth person in there with him. And it was the representation of the presence of God, whether you believe it was Jesus pre-incarnate or whether he was just an angel, it doesn't matter. God came and he rescued him. And let me tell you the story. Let me finish it here. Not only did he rescue him, when they got out, you couldn't even tell that they had been near fire. You know when we used to sit around the campfire and we are talking about the good old days when the vessels were stirring in the house of the Lord? Remember all those good old days? Well, you know, you get home and your wife's like, you smell like smoke. That didn't even like, it was nothing. Not even a hair on their eyebrows was curled up and singed. Nothing. You could not tell. And so when Darius said, hey, I'm gonna, if you pray, I'm going to throw you in the den of the, of the lions, I was like, bring it on. Because I remember the God who saved my buddies. But there was something really important that they said, and I also want to say it too. God's able to save, but even if He doesn't, He is still worthy of being obedient to. And friends, I can't tell you this morning as your pastor, I would love to get up here and be like all like uh, motivational speaker-like and tell you, put your hope in God. He's going to rescue you from every kind of situation you could ever face. I'm not going to tell you that. Because what I am going to tell you is that God is able to deliver you, and even if He doesn't, He will be with you in the midst of your suffering. See, in the lion's den, it says, uh, very much like Shadrach, Meshach, my God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. I wasn't just like cozying up with the lions and keeping warm. There was also like another dude in there and like we talked all night. It was really cool. We told some really good stories and now we're best buddies. Whatever you're going through, I would love to tell you, hey, it's going to come to an end. Believe in your promise. Believe it and it'll be so. Baloney. The only thing we put our belief in is that God will be with us in the midst of it. And even if He doesn't rescue us from the lions, I will still praise Him. I will still worship Him. I will still live a life of obedience. Even if that means I lose my quote-unquote rights. Are you ready for that? My job as your pastor is to get you ready. That's my job. My job as your pastor is to get you ready. My job is, I'm not trying to preach gloom and doom that one day, I don't know. I don't know. But God forbid, if it does happen, will you tuck tail and run? Or will you stand bravely strong in the things that God has called you to? Not because Kelly said you got to be strong. Because you, Southland's Geno, know who your God is. You know who He is. And no matter what comes against you, you say, they can kill me, they can take my life, they can take my things, they can take my comfort, they can take my health, they can take all the things that I like, it still will not change who God is. Amen. All right. Good Lord. Last thing is, I can't do it. I can't just stay on time. I'm sorry, guys. Last thing is number two is that God's not only God who's able to say, but He's the God who totally destroys His enemies with wrath. Look at this, verse 24. Whoa. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. This gets brutal. They, their children, and their wives. Gross. Right? Horrendous. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. I read that this week, and I just wanted to cry. I I thought about families being thrown to ravenous lions. I mean, it's, if you think the Book of Genesis or the the Bible is boring, you just read a verse like that. and You go, holy cow! This is like it's like a it's like the worst movie. It's like a rated R movie. That you it's one of those things you can't unsee or unread almost. And I don't know if you've ever witnessed a lion kill. You know, if you're like into National Geo Nat, nat Geo or you know you like Discovery things, uh, but you know, Marianne and I were in South Africa one time, and we got the privilege of going into a park called Kruger National Park and lions just roam wild with other animals and they just do their thing, you know? And we drove up and there was a, there was a, a lion kill and I didn't even know this could happen, but they had got a giraffe. You know, you think, like, lions don't eat giraffes. No, they eat giraffes. And trust me, they eat them. And this giraffe was messed up. And I'm not going to get more graphic that. But, like, this is nothing compared to what's going on in the story, it says before they even hit the bottom of the pit, these lions just rip them apart. And what we see here is, while God protects the righteous, He utterly destroys His enemies. And He he does it with extreme prejudice. And there's this old saying, With no quarter. You know, the pirates used to say, I attack attack them with no, give them no quarter, right? Well, what in the world does that mean, no quarter? It's like this understanding that we're going to mess them up so bad that there will be nowhere for them to find refuge. We'll keep attacking until they are completely obliterated. And if we think somehow that God is this, just only the nice God who does nice things for nice people, we, we are not understanding the fullness of who our God is. Because God is a God of vengeance against evil and his enemies. And when he deals his wrath against enemies, he doesn't just mostly kind of go, you're a bad boy and knock it off. And then we go, ow, that kind of hurt. I remember when I was a little kid, my mom spanked me because I was playing with the, what, uh, record player, this is, if you don't know what a record player is. Okay, but I remember as a kid, and I was putting my toys on it, and it was like the high, well, it was amazing, watching my, my Lego guys go around in circles. And I remember she goes, if you keep doing that, I'm going to spank you. And I was just like, I put it on there. And then she spanked me, and you know what, I remember, I don't know why I remember this, I told her, that felt like leaves. <laughs> and then my dad came home. See God doesn't go stop it When God deals with his enemies he obliterates them. And I think part of this message for us friends, if you're living a life where you think I could just do my own thing, I'm going to get away with it. I'm you know, God's the nice big jolly Santa in the sky and he's going to wink at my sin. You got another thing coming. Because I'm not trying to get all like Pentecostal preacher or whatever, but if you are not in a place where you've surrendered your life to God and you've made Him Lord and Savior, if you were to die, you go to hell. That's what Scripture tells us. It tells us that because God is holy, because God is perfect, what He does is He stands against imperfection and He stands against unholiness. It's called the wrath of God. Is, is, is because he cannot turn a blind eye to sin. So, a judge, let's say we we're standing here this morning all in a courtroom, and a defendant came up and was found guilty of a crime, a heinous crime, and a judge was going to sentence this defendant. He would not, a good judge would not say, Well, I'm going to give you a second chance, even though you murdered that family. Uh, don't do it again, and let this be a warning. Everyone in the courtroom would go, injustice. That is an unjust judge. And because God is perfect and he's a holy God, he exacts his judgment against unholiness. Because if he didn't, he would not be holy. He would be evil. And we would all say, what a terrible God. And so for you and I, if we're living in a place of sin, and we just keep living that way, and we go, God's just going like, to give me a second chance, because he's love after all, and love just kind of does whatever it wants, you don't understand who our God is. Now here's the beautiful thing about this. What we see in Jesus is that he totally obliterated for us our sin and our death on the cross. So, when we put our hope in our faith in Christ and say, yeah, that actually is me. I'm a sinner and I need saving. And I can't, I can't wiggle my way out of this because God has found me guilty. What Jesus does is He comes in and He stands in that place and He says, hold on, judge. Yes, He is guilty. But guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the price. I'm going to pay for it in my flesh. And I will undergo the penalty that was coming due to Him. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's the, the wonderful thing. Is that when Jesus dealt with our, 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 our mess, our sin, He didn't just kind of deal with it. He didn't just go like, well, I mostly covered your sin. Well, I mostly covered it. And so now what you got to do, I did 80%. I did, I did 95% of this, guys. So at least you could do 5%. Come on. No, what Jesus did when he stood before the judge and says, I'll take it. What he did is I'll take 100%. 100%. And I'm going to deal with this sin and death ruthlessly, just like a lion. can't wait for those people to get to the bottom of the floor so I can rip them apart. Because I'm ravenous. Jesus withstood the wrath of the Father against our sin. He took our place. And so for if you're not a believer this morning, that's good news for you. All you've got to do is put your hope in Christ. If you are a Christian this morning, what, that's good news for us because we continue to put our hope in Christ. Jesus is better in every single way. Amen? Let's stand together this morning.